Oh, boy. I'm going old school on his butt. Let's play a game. I'm a savage. Come on. Whoa, Granny's out here having a martini at halftime. Haters gonna hate. Welcome to another episode of We Talk Funny. I'm your host, Ken Pringle. And that, of course, was the sound of the classic Looney Tunes character, Granny, from the summer's hit movie, Space Jam, A New Legacy, which is dropping on DVD and Blu-ray this Tuesday. In this particular film, Granny was voiced, of course, by the incomparable Candy Milo, who will be my guest on the podcast today. I'm going to head over to her house where we're going to enjoy a bowl of Candy's favorite breakfast cereal while we chat about everything under the sun, from why the classic show Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends got canceled, to some dark stories about the recording of Dexter's Laboratory, and how just like so many voice artists at all levels out there, Space Jam was recorded in a closet. So grab a bowl of your own favorite breakfast cereal, sit back and relax, and as we always say here on the show, spoons up, let's dig in. Welcome to We Talk Funny. Today, I am here with one of my favorite people. You've heard her in just about everything. You have heard her in things from Dexter's Laboratory to Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends to Chalk Zone to, gosh, just about every show or commercial you could name. And she is currently the voice of Granny in Space Jam, A New Legacy, coming out on DVD and Blu-ray this Tuesday, October 5th. It's Candy Milo, everybody. Thank you. Hypes. Yay. Hi. Hi. It's so good to see you in person. I'm I'm so happy to be here. And and actually, we're recording from Candy's house today, which is always nice to get out of my little gray box every once in a while. No, and I love that. And you're wearing your um, Space Jam shirt. I am wearing my Space Jam shirt. Which I wanted to personally thank the company that provided me with shirts. And I want you to know that my daughter promptly stole one. <laughs> yeah, that that the company's Roosevelt's. Roosevelt's. Uh, yeah. I want to just say a personal thank you uh-huh. to you. They're awesome. They fit great. They feel wonderful. And my daughter just looked and went, ooh, which one's mine? I like this one. Bye. <laughs> so I do have one. See, that's so nice because they're friends of mine, but they're not paying me for any of this. Oh. So now you're just giving them free publicity and they're, um, they're going to have to sponsor my show eventually. They're going to have to sponsor your show. But yes. they're really great shirts. And thank you, Ken, for making that happen. Oh, no problem. Because it's super fun to wear um, stuff like that, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rooney absolutely. Tunes is, a, is, a, is, it is in itself a legacy. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. It's, Kind of fun. It's really wonderful. Yeah, I love I love their stuff. They've done a bunch of, of different things. In fact, I, I just got a photo yesterday uh, from Carlos Alasraki, right. who's on set right now, and he's like, "I'm in my trailer, and look what I'm wearing." And it was a uh, the the shirt that they did for Cat Dog, which has two of his characters on oh, it. Oh, so, I love it. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Oh, I love it. Well, you know, Dexter's Lab. Wink, wink. Oh, um, I want to see that one so bad. I would say cheese from Foster's Home. Wink, wink. I like shirts. You, um, you know that's my favorite. That's that is my uh, favorite. That is my absolute favorite character of any character you've done. I love cheese so much. I and, love cheese. And, and actually, you know, uh, I, I was going to bring this up much later in the podcast. Oh, I'm where it sorry. actually fit, but I'm going to talk about it now anyways. Because okay, this is something I really wanted to talk to you about was with cheese in particular. Also cocoa, but cheese in particular. Um... I feel that cheese is 
it's almost a masterclass in how to do this. I love the fact that this character has such limited dialogue. When you mm-hmm. look at it in the script, it's it's four words most of the time. But what makes it funny is how you manage to change the tone and inflection on every delivery of the line so much that it, it's the same four words, but it means a thousand different things. It's hysterical. And I will say, you know, when as an actor, and you know this from teaching stand-up and being a stand-up, it is either dialogue, character, or situational funny. Mm-hmm. And the thing with working with um, Lauren and Craig, who were the creators and the animators, um, was that we got all three. We used to get our boards and our scripts. And I can tell you honestly, back in the day, and this was, what, 15 15 years ago, maybe more, Mm -hmm. I would get the board and save it and read the script first. And I remember Phil Lamar, um, who played uh, Wilt, saying the same thing. We would be crying, laughing, reading these because Lauren's writing and the creation of her characters, Lauren Faust, uh, Craig McCracken's wife, um, and... um, they were so complete. She wrote like she drew and like Craig drew. And when I couldn't get the voice because for the cheese episode, there wasn't a board. Mm. So I didn't get to see what they were thinking of. And on the back of a piece of paper, which I still have, he drew it with these hands and those large feet and that neck and that little kid belly yeah and they said think tiny rain man (laughs) and i was like i think it's great and then i i absolutely have to give props to colette sunderman who was our voice director who did the same thing it was like you know what would gabby do if you touched her Cereal, and yeah. I was like, Gabby would probably just laugh knowing there was more. But any other kid, like, don't let the peas touch the carrots, would scream, yeah. and we would be in that session. I even remember Gray just putting her hand over her mouth, like, "Oh my god, this is so damn funny!" And it really started with the script, and then Craig drew it, and I was like, "Oh." I got it, and and I got it, and I he was only in, I believe, four episodes, and they wanted <laughs> they did interstitials with him. Yeah. I had written a show called, um, and you can't steal it because I I renew the thing every year. <laughs> it was called the Yesterday Today Tonight Show, and Cheese was a host ah. of like um, the Tonight Show, but he didn't say anything. He would just go la la la. I like cereal. And then I wanted to intercut real Tonight Show guests like John, like uh, Ed McMahon laughing. Mm-hmm. You have a big laugh. And then just cut back and do these like four minute shorts of cheese. And it actually got um, pretty far. And then we figured out they were not renewing us. And that was previous management. And it was all over toys. I think we'd wow. be SpongeBob. I think we'd be in our 20th year. 
had they figured out how to make money on toys. That's a shame. Um, it was really it, it a was shame. such a brilliant show. Oh my god, so good. And and you you mentioned Phil Lamar, who I adored in that show because I mean Cheese was definitely my favorite character, right? But Phil's performance as Wilt was just. It was it was heartbreaking at moments. It was yeah. so strong, right? Uh, just oh yeah, loved it. I loved the places they explored with that show, and it was just full of originality. It was yeah. really great, and I think it was very much. It reminded me of another kind of short lived, shorter lived show, which was Chalk Zone, which was so sure. brilliant out of the minds of uh, Bill Burnett and Larry Huber, who brought it to life at Nickelodeon. And I think we literally only had two years, but. We did the first animated MTV videos. We sang every week. They animated one-minute songs, and they played them on MTV. <laughs> like, and we did an album. I mean, it was it was really quite it was really quite amazing. Um, and that was what happens to your chalk drawings as a kid. Where do they go? Yeah. Well, they go to Chalk World, and then Rudy gets magic chalk, and if he draws a circle, he can step through and go back into the imagination of all the kids. I, it just was great. It was such a great show. And E.G. Daly and uh, Hinden Walsh and I, and I'm trying to think Jess Harnell came on and sang every week. He's a brilliant singer. Oh, he's great. Um, and it was just so fun. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah, just yeah. great, great work. And I think it was kind of a... A precursor to Foster's Home had nothing to do with the creation of it, but I think it is what allowed that kind of a world and crossing in, of the worlds and imagination uh, to be widely commercially acceptable. Yeah, or well, it was, it was so unique just in the in the character designs and the the animation style behind it. It looked it looked like nothing else that was on television mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah, great stuff. Great. I, I love that. Now, going back to, you know, your own childhood. Right. Um, you know, now we have, you know, Cartoon Network and, and Boomerang, all these different channels out there and whatnot. But we didn't have that as kids. Nope. Were you a Saturday mornings kid? Were you big into cartoons as a kid? I was, and, and this is absolutely 100% the truth. I loved Looney Tunes. Okay. And I loved the original black and white Daffy Duck. Oh, because yeah. he was so hyperactive. He was, and I just, that whole woo, 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 and he would jump around. It would just make me weep. And I loved- Back when uh, he was originally a foil for Porky, yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. And he was so sassy, and he was very Three Stooges-ish. And I was also a big mm. Three Stooges fan. Um, Saturday mornings, I have some- recollections of Saturday morning cartoons, mostly Jay Ward. Okay. I liked, I didn't like realistic designs. Now, I was a huge comic book kid. Really? I had Archie's, Richie Rich. I was a huge, we lived three doors down from a 7-Eleven. And um, (laughs) we didn't get an allowance because we were expected to do work for free. That's what made you a kid. Yeah. Um, But my dad would pop a quarter and we could get, comic books were 15 cents and you can get Jolly Ranchers. And I was a huge comic book collector. So I liked the rounder drawing of a Richie Rich, uh, a Casper. Mm -hmm. I um, 
didn't really care for um, Penelope Pitstop, but that was my jam. That was my era. And I could do Nell. And I think that's where it came. And that's why I was laughing when everybody was like, he was so, oh, Eric was so great as Marvin the Martian. And I was like, okay, Eric, if you're listening, I too <laughs> can do Marvin the Martian because he was also my favorite character. And I was, that's who I was. But Josie and the Pussycat, it was too realistic. Ergo, mm-hmm. I never saw me. I never saw anybody that looked like me that, you know, that that had my experiences. I didn't look up to anything like that. I was a Saturday morning girl for the Three Stooges, the Little Rascals, and Looney Tunes. Now, you have to remember, if my dad were alive, he'd be 104. So I had much older parents. My yeah. dad was a comic during the 40s yeah. and the 50s when all of this was being done. Right, so right. this was his, ergo, my era. Gotcha. And then I was a Thursday night girl, and that was Partridge Family, Brady Bunch, um, trying to think, um, Petticoat Junction, like all of these broader Gilligan's Island, Bewitched. All, that was really more than cartoons. Um but I really felt as a little kid, I was in a Jay Ward cartoon. He had my sense of humor, mm-hmm. which had a lot of June Foray, by the oh, way. Oh, she was all over it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, June Foray was everything in the Jay Ward stuff. Which yeah. I loved, and I loved all of her voicing. And I was a Looney Tunes because I loved the speed of the action. Mm-hmm. I loved the drawings. I loved. Um, the wackiness and the pow wackiness of it. I just, I absolutely loved it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, well, you, the, the Looney Tunes stuff, I mean, because they were taking a lot of the, the theatrical shorts and then repurposing them for kids' television, they there was a quality level in right. the Looney Tunes that was definitely superior to a lot of the television stuff that was out at that time because they were all still sort of figuring out that Hanna-Barbera model of producing fast, cheap, and effective. Right, exactly. And so it would definitely stand out because it was just, it was a very different style of animation as well as writing and just overall production. Agreed. And and think about what was made for television at the time. And I remember when they finally put The Wizard of Oz on television. Mm-hmm. And I, because I was... I am this many years old that I remember our first television set was black and white. So I remember when we got a color set and then I remember when they put the Wizard of Oz on, I went, how old is this movie? Is it in black and white? And then when it went to color, I was like, (laughs) my mind was blown. And just the quality of that Technicolor, the quality of that color, because it was made for the big screen and they technicolor as it moved into television was working. You're right. Was working it all out. And I, I just, I think that it was, you know, the Flintstones. I loved the voice acting yeah, and I loved, I loved Dino. I loved what they were doing. Um, and that's really, that's really my era. But, you know, I was getting, older and stopping watching cartoons because I was also in theater on the weekends mm-hmm. and doing musicals and, and in children's and busy at school. Like when we got into the Fat Albert thing and then yeah. Michael Jackson and then the Osmonds had, and then I was gone. And then, 
They had G.I. Joe and they had other things and they really began to be sexist. They had cartoons for boys and cartoons for girls. Right, right. And I just... You know, but I was getting older. Well, it was because so many of those particular shows, you know, especially in the 80s, they were driven by toy sales. Right. And, you know, for decades there, you had two aisles when it came to toys. You had the boys' toys, you had the girls' toys. You had the boys' toys, and you had Barbie. There was no girls' toys. Well, in the 80s, though, you did see an expansion of of girls' toys once they started seeing that there was sales numbers and things like Care Bears and Rainbow Bright and Strawberry Shortcake. Right, exactly. But it was was all driven by the toys. Right. You know, if if there wasn't a good merchandising model around it, it wasn't going to become a show. Right, exactly. Exactly. And it... It's why Mattel became Mattel. Yeah, is off of cartoon shows. Yeah, Mattel and Hasbro, and I mean that was that, a lot of the Sunbow Entertainment was all of the the different properties. And yeah, 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 yeah. interesting. Yes. And so uh, now, one thing I always ask every guest on the show, talking about Saturday mornings and all of that, uh, did you have a favorite breakfast cereal? Did you have a Saturday morning I, cereal? Because Captain Crunch, Captain Crunch, okay. and then Cocoa Puffs. Okay, all right. Captain Crunch first, and then if we were out, then I would do Cocoa Pops. But what I didn't like is I used to eat it, Cocoa Pops. Cocoa for Cocoa Pops. I would eat it as fast as I could because I didn't like the chocolatey milk. So I (gasps) broke my heart. I know. I liked it, which is why I like Captain Crunch because it would stay crunchy longer. I swear to God, if you could have seen me eat, my mother's my mother used to say, "You eat like the Russians are at the front door," and I was like, "I have no idea what that means. Why do you keep using that adage? I don't understand." But I'm eating so that one of my brothers and sisters doesn't take my bowl. <laughs> There's a lot of mouths to feed at this table, and not I, a lot of cereal. I feel like I've just broken like the 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 animation version of a TMZ breakthrough story. Yes. The voice of cheese doesn't like chocolate milk i loved chocolate milk <laughs> it began it was but i am forever a capricorn it became too too i wanted regular milk and cocoa pops ah. it was too chocolatey if i had cocoa pops in chocolate milk but i loved chocolate milk and i used to we used to make it with bosco um syrup oh and the okay. blank look on your face was like no, no, I'm I know Bosco. Than, I'm I, I, older than you think I am. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, I actually have to correct you. You keep saying the name wrong. It's actually Coco Puffs. Coco Puffs. Ah! It's actually Coco Puffs. I, I have a box of them right here. I'm looking at it. Yeah, because what I usually do with each podcast is I'll bring a couple of bowls and some milk and some cereal to actually review a cereal with somebody. Oh, my and God. I go through the aisle, and I'm like, what am I going to pick out for this particular guest? And I was like, well, I know she likes cocoa, and I know she likes chocolate milk. So Cocoa Puffs, that was the way to oh, go. I'm so smart. You are. You are. I should be holding a cheese doll and put on my cocoa jacket from Foster's Home. You want some cocoa puffs? I'm going to grab a Let's little bowl it. here. Let's do yeah, it. I review, a different, I review a different cereal every podcast. Watch how fast I eat it so it doesn't get chocolatey milk. Oh, I, I, won't, for, I won't force you to uh, go with the milk there because you apparently don't like milk on it and that's fine. This is so fun. He's opening a giant box of Cocoa Pops. You know why it's a giant box? Is I was at the store, and for some reason, the giant box was on sale for the same price as the regular box. Well, that's good. And the dad in me is like, I can't give away free cereal. Right. And we used to do um, box tops and um, 
Send them in. I also like sugar smacks. Thank go. you. Yeah. I also like sugar smacks because I like the way the cool bear talked. Oh, sugar bear, yes. Sugar bear. And I will tell you the first time the Elton John um, song came out, not realizing he was talking about drugs. Uh, the song, and he was like, oh, the sugar bear. And I was like, oh, he's doing a song about cereal. <laughs> Who is so, who's sadly no longer really a character much anymore. I know. Because uh, he's not called sugar bear, because they don't call him sugar puffs anymore. Oh. They, they, so they changed it. It's gone through a few different name changes. It was originally sugar puffs. Or was and it, then it was sugar, sugar crisps? Well, no, no, honey smacks, that's a different thing, because that's Diggum the, the, the frog. Right. But they're the same taste of, of cereal. They're both right. puffed out. Um, but sugar sugar puffs became sugar crisp, which became golden crisp, because they didn't want the name sugar in the title. I know, just in your mouth, but not yeah. in the title. Yeah, so Sugar Bear didn't really work anymore. He is still, I think, on, on some of the boxes, but they don't really push Sugar Bear anymore, which is a shame. That is so funny, because you know what else I liked was... Um, Lucky Charms, because they're magically delicious. And then they started to add blue Mm -hmm. to it. They did blue, and I was like, there is no blue food. You cannot add this, because now I know nothing is real. And I forget what one of your listeners will know what the blue thing was. Um, Well, it was diamonds, originally. Right, blue diamonds. Blue diamonds, yeah. It was diamonds originally, but they've changed the they've changed the marshmallows so many times. With Lucky Charms. Now you get a box and it's like little pieces of art in there. It's like here's a unicorn and a <laughs> rainbow and a, a treasure chest with gold spilling out. I'm like, I just want my clovers. <laughs> I just want the prize inside. Oh, I see that I miss. Right, it used to be a prize inside of all of the boxes of cereal, and now it is so rare that if they do a prize, it's usually like scan this and get a digital code. I'm like, I can't play with that. It's so bad. That uh, the other day, I bought a giant box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch simply because it had a toy skateboard in it. And I was like, I'm going to support putting toys in cereal. I agree. <laughs> that was the best part. But you, ha- you had to get it before your siblings got it. That was the trick. You had exactly. to be the first to get the toy out. Otherwise, yeah, then you're just stuck with a bunch of cereal. And who wants that? Right. And I would say it was for me, Captain Crunch rarely had toys. True. Yeah. Captain Crunch, it was the more sugary, Although, the better. ironically, Captain Crunch actually had one of the most famous cereal toys of all time. What? So, back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, Captain Crunch had a cereal toy that was a whistle. It was a toy whistle. And the reason the toy whistle was so famous was because a hacker learned that it had the same tone to the whistle as the tone that would allow you to do long-distance phone calls on a payphone. And by blowing the whistle just right, you could trick the phone into allowing long distance calls. Oh my god. And so it was god. it was big in the hacker community, this the, the Captain Crunch whistle. That is hilarious. <laughs> I just remember the days when we had our um those um home answering machines and you had to mm-hmm. get that little square thing and go boop. Well, I remember I was out, I had auditioned for Dream Girls. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, um, stay by your phones because we're going to, um, you know, we'll be calling you and then mailing you. And I was like, okay. And I was out and my roommate and I would share the decoder or whatever you called it, the transponder that would trigger the machine to replay. And I remember that my roommate said, don't forget to take it today because yeah. I bet they call and I didn't take it 
Oh. And so she came home and she said, there's a message on the machine for you. I don't want to tell you what it is. So I called her and did you hear anything? She said, you did. And I don't want to tell you what it is. And I was like, oh. And she said, and the transponders in the kitchen. So I, <laughs> from a payphone, called back and was like, and I eventually got the sound because it was <laughs> something like, like really high. I swear to God, I heard the machine rewind. That's hilarious. And she said, you know, I've already awesome. checked it. And she worked at the May company. I've already checked it. And I got the machine to resp- to rewind. And I had heard that I got it and that they would be sending contracts in the mail. Wow. Wow. And then I think we, honest to God, I think we recorded over it. Because, you know, in my mind, there were going to be so many more moments uh, like that. Don't you wish you still had some of those things? I, I wish I still had the tape from my last answering machine before I started all going to voicemail. Because uh, I was in college at the time. And uh, I went to this, uh, this, this shoot. They were shooting this special for VH1 for a show that never happened. It was live at the House of Blues. And a buddy of mine got me into it. I should not have been there, but I watched Blues Traveler play. Oh, my amazing. God. But there was all of these celebrities in the house, tons of celebrities. And one particular celebrity that my, my roommate and I met was the, uh, the hot young rookie in Los Angeles at the time, Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. And the reason that we ended up talking to Kobe was because Kobe had lived in Italy for several years. Right. My roommate spoke Italian. And Kobe was like, I haven't met anybody out here who speaks Italian. So we gave him the phone number. And for weeks, anytime I'd come home and I'd play the answering machine message, if I just heard Italian, I'd be like, it's Kobe again. Come listen. I don't know what Kobe's saying. (laughs) I wish I had that tape. Oh, my God. Could you imagine how much it would be worth, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he used to call my my roommate just to, to talk Italian because he didn't know anybody who did that. That is wild. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had that tape. That got thrown away years ago, and now I really regret it. <laughs> well, you know, I have this story that I do in my nightclub act about going to the Dream Girls audition and picking up a number, 77, off the floor, and somebody said, you know, you, you always tell these stories. I said, I never tell anything that isn't true. I went, I brought two friends to the audition. We were doing um, Christmas in Los Angeles with the Rockettes. Uh And I was a singer in the show, um, a New Yorker. And two of them didn't have transportation to the Scottish Rite Festival. We were um, Scottish Rite Temple. But we were at the shrine rehearsing the Christmas show. I brought them. They were African-American. That's what they were looking for, Uh, African, it was the non-union call for African-American chorus. Mm -hmm. All the roles had been filled, so they wanted chorus and understudies. And so I was just sitting there in this atrium, and um, this woman dropped her number, had walked in, and this woman dropped her number, and I picked it up and walked over to the equity deputy and handed it to her and said, you know, this woman dropped her number, and she said, oh, 77, dear, you're in. And I was like, say again? She said, 77 just went in, 77, uh, 70 to 80 just went in. And I was like, (laughs) already then. And I grabbed my little pleather case out of my car and I walked in and I ended up getting the job. But when I walked in, my friends, Fred and Lita were like, 
what are you doing? And I was like, waving, like, hi. And then I look around and I'm like, I am the only white person on this stage. (laughs) And then Michael Bennett came over to me and said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'd like to have a job, please. And he said, "Um, can you sing? And I was like, yes, I can. And he said, can you dance? And I was like, well, I tap. And my friends were like, oh, my God. And I walked over to the piano player who became a lifelong friend, Diane Louie. And she said, well, then Michael Bennett said to me, you get to go first. And I was like, all right. And I just kind of walked over and Diane said, can you really sing? This is a very mean room. And I said, oh, no, I can really, I can really sing. And so she was like, okay. And I went over and I think I did up the ladder to the roof. And they were like, oh, well, all righty, what else you got? And I walked (laughs) back over and I handed something else. And she said, do you know anything by Judy Garland? And I was like, oh, yeah, let's do Over the Rainbow. And I went back and, and they were like, okay, you can stay. And then I ended up (laughs) getting the show. And I had never seen a chorus line, never seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had to dance. And Michael Peters was the choreographer who created all of Michael Jackson's. Uh, Billy Jean beat it. He was Michael Jackson's choreographer. And um, he was a choreographer on Dreamgirls. And he was phenomenal. And They taught us this stuff, movement you had never seen because Michael hadn't started dancing like this yet. Yeah. So you had not seen it. This was 80, 82. He hadn't really, and he created this all in the eight, in 1980, Mm because 81, it won the Tony, 82, they put together. Um, So anyway, I got to the front and I did it again. and, And Michael said, Michael Bennett said, not Michael Peters, Michael Bennett said, try it again. And I said, you know, I knew it better when I was in the back which is Cassie's favorite famous line from a course line when she says, I knew it better when I was in the front. And I just was like, I knew it better when I was in the back. And he roared thinking I was quoting a chorus line. And I was like, no, I'm just a very ballsy 20 year old. So that is really, I mean, that's, you got your start with musical theater and yes. singing and all of that. Yep. Uh, how young? When, when did you Well, I did, um, I was with San Jose Children's Music Theater. It's Mm -hmm. called something else now, but it was John Healy was this unbelievable young man, probably only like five years older than all of us kids, who was just a a life force and sang and directed and acted and and produced all these musicals and got the parents to costume them. And I think I did my first musical at 12. And I think that... I did my last musical there when I was 15 because Mm -hmm. then I, I might've been 16 because I then worked at Marriott's Great America when I was 16 that summer. So I have a January birthday. I auditioned, I was 15 and some change. They couldn't hire me until I turned 16. And then I worked that summer. And then I don't think that I went back to... I don't think I went back to San Jose Children's Music Theater, but I think at 12, I started doing, wow. and I did Reno Sweeney, I did Nancy and Oliver, I did a couple of really big roles, and they used to do a little cast and a big cast, so you'd have really tiny, tiny kids, and then you'd have like teenagers, and I think that I only worked 
ever, because I'm also very small, I only ever worked in the little cast. But I always mm-hmm. had the lead. I don't know what I did with Oliver when I played Nancy. I might have been in, I might have been in the big cast. I'm not quite sure. Um, but I enjoyed it. I I loved it, and then tried to continue it. I finished high school, and I had skipped a couple grades, and I went to college pre law at Santa Clara University, <laughs> and quit, and moved to LA when I was 18 worked for Disney for two summers in Florida, and then kind of flitted back to school, stayed out of school. My claim to fame was that I was in poli sci at Occidental, most likely in a classroom with Barack Obama. So we're the <laughs> same age. Um, I'm just not quite sure. And yeah. then I, you know, I came to LA and I just had great luck. I sang in nightclubs. I tried my hand at singy stand-up. The great late Steve Moore was like an idol of mine because he played piano and sang and then did stand-up. We used to call mm-hmm. it poignant comedy. Val Pappas did the same thing, poignant comedy. And I did characters. I was like a Bette Midler who was my idol. Um, I wanted to sing and do stand-up and do characters and have a through line of a show. So I've been singing, um, but as my life went forward, it just stopped working out that I I could do it. And the greatest impediment was the fact that I had a child and then five years later went through a divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, and then became a single parent and you can't survive on theater um, as a, you just can't. Yeah, it's just not not the same kind of, of... you could, I couldn't. Have, no, yeah. you you make, you know, we, we we make. I make in a session what I make in a week. Yeah. So I I, I couldn't. Do well, I mean, that. a lot a lot of actors will say theater feeds the soul, not the wallet. Exactly. Yeah. Theater pays my gas to go down and now and do theater, but I never stopped loving it. I it just had to go as we talked earlier into one of my boxes that I had to put aside um, because then cartoon voice acting kind of. Um, mm-hmm. took over and that was my first job was Tiny Toons Sp- Steven Spielberg's Tiny Toon amazing Adventures show. it yeah. was amazing oh. and it was an amazing uh, experience um, it was my very first audition for animation and my very first gig wow. came out of it and I don't know because it was back then it was so political mm-hmm. like everybody hiring their friends it was like a little I like to call it a club of weirdos. Like, I was like, I'm not even sure. Don't worry about letting me in. Not quite sure I want to be in your club. But Steven Spielberg liked me. And Ed said to me, you should be doing this. You are really good at it. And I was like, thank you. Are you looking past the fact that I have army boots and a ball gown on? Because (laughs) I didn't want to be here. I didn't say that. What I did say was... Do people tell you you look like Steven Spielberg? <laughs> and he just looked at me very drolly and said, every day. And kind of walked back in and I was like, oh. But he had popped his head out of the booth to say, you are very good and you should be doing this. And I thought, well, all righty. I think that means that you have to hire me whether you like me or not. I'm having more cereal. Please do. I, I, love, knowing that, I love knowing that we do cereal on this podcast and that any voice director who hears this podcast is just going to be like, no, away from the mic. <laughs> Am I eating in your ear? If they want good sound, they can listen to George Widom's podcast. <laughs> what do 
doesn't have me on it. Right. Sorry, George. So did you, uh, when you realized that you had to, you know, move from just theater because, you know, mm-hmm. financial reasons and stuff, um, is that when you started booking more commercial work? Was that before or after the voiceover? Well, you know, it was, it was, think of this, nightclubs, mm-hmm. did okay, did okay, auditioned for uh, like Agva show, they're very variety. Sure. I was auditioning for variety shows and I got... The first thing that I got was Princess Cruises. Oh, wow. And I was their youngest guest entertainer ever. Now they've revamped it. And now it's just like Vegasy yeah, show. Yeah. But it used to be kind of homespun. And I went out to see off and on because we only did four to six weeks on. And I went on doing my club act uh-huh. um, at 19 years old and got off the ship when I was 21. And that's when I got into the um, Radio City Music Hall show. And then after that was Dreamgirls. Yeah. And then after that, I came back and I was handled, I was hip-pocketed by this guy at William Morris. It was like 84, 85, and I was singing at the back lot. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of doing stand-up and I had befriended a bunch of people who are still my friends to this day. They are my family. They're my posse. Yeah. And they brought an agent, who Aaron, who fell in love with me, but he couldn't get William Morris interested. But all the old Fakakta guys, all these Altakakas, <laughs> they loved me because my dad was old. So I had the same, I knew who Tody Fields was. I was like, I get, I know who everybody is, that blah, 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 blah. My dad worked open for Liberace. I know everybody. Sure. You're knowing I have a great respect. You know, I knew who Henny Youngman was. I worshiped Phyllis Diller. I was like, <laughs> I was the oldest 20 something they had ever met. And he, Aaron passed away from AIDS and we did a memorial at Carlos and Charlie's where I had sung before and somebody from the animation department who was Aaron's assistant came up and handed me her card and she said, I think Aaron would want me to handle you. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get a record deal. I'm going to get a record deal. I'm going to get a record deal. And then I looked and it was like commercials and animation and I was like, rip. <laughs> rip. No. Oh, my God. And then it's my friend, Dory, who then called me and she was like, Nina's been trying to call you. And I was like, (laughs) I don't want to do this. She said, just go down. So I went down and I met with them and they handed me this copy and they were like, go in this room. And it wasn't a booth. It was a room about this big with a reel to reel. Yeah, and some yeah. guy with headphones on being very, very quiet. And recording me, and I recorded uh, Perkins Restaurant, Dentine Gum, and Tiny Tunes, and booked all three. Wow. And they still didn't sign me (laughs) for like four years. But I did that, and then at the same time, they took took me on, and they signed me for commercials. Mm -hmm. And then I had Mervyn's, and I did Pearl Vision and Southern Ford, and these were huge contracts that I had... You, you did a, a ton of commercial work. I, I mean, I've done like fact, 260 
commercials the, in total. For the, the younger listeners may not remember, but the, the 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 listeners that are my age, you know, we're gonna remember you that you were part of one of the biggest campaigns in the nineties. You were the spokeswoman for Mervin, which I was. everyone will remember by three little words, which were open, open, open. You were the open, open, open lady. Which yes, which I ad libbed, which is the wow. reason they kept hiring me because the director George Rue insisted the girl that wrote it says it. Yeah. They had you in so many different I spots. Did like you were the, the Mervyn's lady. You I were did in everything. 64 spots for that. Wow. And over a seven year period, mm-hmm. I think it was. And then I did a bunch of others. The The issue became, though, that everybody wanted their own Mervyn's girl. Yeah. So when I would yeah. go, I was so recognizable that it was hard for me to get national commercial they didn't money. Ha- they didn't have you on an exclusivity contract with they, that many spots? Um, no, they did have me on an annual. Like I got, I, I got money up front. That's what William Morris negotiated, which was great. Yeah. Um, and then they got to make as many spots as they wanted per year because those were cable only. They were, Murphins was not a national wow. chain. So I did well, but, um, and then I didn't do Ford. I did Southern Ford and oh, went to okay. North Carolina and did racetrack things with all the race car drivers who could not have been nicer. Then I did Pearl Vision. I flew to New York and I did, I think, 20 spots for them, mm-hmm. which was really fun. And then the crazy kooky girl went out of style. And I started to get a little older, and then it just became harder for me, you know, to book back in the 80s and 90s. 19-year-olds were playing mothers, and 40-year-olds were playing grandmothers. So to be 30, you you couldn't be a new mom. You had to be the crazy neighbor or the aunt. And then they saved that for either a a bigger-bodied girl or... Or they required that you speak Spanish. I mean, it was just like, I don't fit here anymore. It's weird. It's like, imagine, although she's so much more able than I am, the flow. Imagine her in another spot. You you can't. Yeah. That's what Mervyn's was. Yeah. You you couldn't imagine me in another spot. And when it ended, I wanted William Morris to call Macy's and say that we should set up the spot and for me to be talking about gold and diamonds and I can't wait for the store to open and then have somebody walk up and go, this is Macy's, not Mervyn's, we're open. And then just walk right by me. And I was like trying to get Macy's, but I think they may have pitched it and the the advertising agency said, we want our own. Yeah. Well, that's what surprises me that they didn't put you on, a, a, you know, more of an exclusivity contract across the board, not just not just that particular, well, you know, direct competition. Because, like Flow, for example, I mean, that's what they do. They don't want her appearing in commercials for anything, not right. just other car insurance. Nothing. Uh, you know, right. they, they've done that with a, with a few different folks. Uh, you know, John Reap was on an exclusivity contract for Ford for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, but for, I think that. It went back to I'm eating in the microphone. Sorry, it's okay. That's that's my that's my plan. I'm I'm fine but with I, that. So I'm having cereal, everybody, without milk. It's the best. Um, so I think that goes back to who was driving that bus, mm-hmm. and basically you had um, a real Mr. Mervin who was not a fan of oh. um, anybody being a bigger star than his store. Gotcha. So it was driven by him, and it was impossible for the ad agency, which was a small one, 
to do it. And he just wasn't in love with the idea. And then he really wanted, and I will always love him. He really wanted Joe Montana. So they, you know, got rid of me and they got Joe Montana. And then the director shared with me that they came over to him, not, not the directing staff, but ad agency and said, we want you to say open, open, open. He said, no, I love that girl. Write me something else as funny. And I'll say that. (laughs) And the director was like, she wrote that. (laughs) she had lived that she wrote that so nobody there can and it was funny because i saw the guy on facebook yeah the producer and slash ad agency who had said oh the mervyn spots that you wrote and produced were so great and i wrote and i wrote on his page and then he blocked me yes do tell how did you come up with open 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 And what prompted you to ask? And then he blocked me. (laughs) Oh, stirring up shit. I love it. You know me. Yeah, yeah. I have no fears. I'm out of Fs. Like, since I'm seven, I'm done. And now, even with the the pandemic here over the last year and a half and stuff, you were still on TV. You're doing commercials now. You've got a commercial that was running all the time now for Tide. Thank God. You uh, know, really, truly, that it's like Tide, and I did two. And let me just tell you about... An 11-year drought of not booking anything but one stupid industrial and then a really cute small commercial that only ran in my hometown. So all my friends from high school think I'm super (laughs) famous. I'm like, dude, it only ran in the San San Jose Bay Area because it was a very local. And that was all I did for like 11, maybe even 15 years, honestly. And I booked the Tide Spot in October before the pandemic hit, yeah. before, it, before they really knew what it kind of was in January and then didn't say anything. And I booked a Ferraro Rocher mm-hmm. where I just play sort of a sourpuss in the background while this beautiful actress spins in a pink skirt and floats above and it's for a candy bar called Kinder Bueno. And I booked those together and then um, they, didn't, they didn't run until January and they mm-hmm. started to run and we were still auditioning, and I was could not. I was like, I came getting close, and I kept being put on a veil yeah. and callback and a veil. And then the pandemic hit, and all during this time, my voiceover career got to be very, very strong. And I, um, about eight or nine years ago, I lucked into a really brilliant agent. I'm um, voiceover agent Sandy Schnarr at. AVO talent. Yeah, Sandy's Peter fantastic, Verne, uh, yeah. Just a super good human um, and just a wonderful girl. And Peter Verano is a great guy, her business partner. Mm-hmm. And um, it had always been really strong. So commercials was just my jam. It's like my specialty. I know how to make a 30-second movie. Yeah. I know how to be that character, arc it all the way through, I I know how to do it. And so when I didn't get it, it was more painful than me not getting a voiceover job because I was like, I'm going to tell you, if you use me, it will run forever. I promise you, if you use me, it will run. For- if you don't use me, the commercial gods above, it ain't going to run. So I booked those the Tide and this Ferrara Rocher also in January because I have a little card on my fridge. Um, go to audition to Scratch Granny. Um, and for your listeners, Scratch means that I go in 
and lay down the dialogue that they're thinking is going to be in the movie as the character Granny and a bunch of others so that they can animate to it. That's what they do. So I got auditioned to be Scratch in January and we are locked down, you know, March 7th. And I'm... Well, I mean, at least the Tide Spot was running all the time. For the listeners at home, by the way, uh, I do have a quick clip of the Tide Spot. I'm going to play that here so you know what we're talking about. Oh, my goodness. When our daughter and her kids moved in with us... Kids, bedtime. She was worried we wouldn't be able to keep up. Of course we can. What couldn't keep up was our bargain detergent. Turns out it's mostly water. And water doesn't get out all the stains. So we switched back to Tide. One wash, stains are gone. Kind of like our quiet time. Oh, Scott Parkin. So, now, my, my one... My my one gripe with that spot is that they have you playing a grandmother and you look way too young to be I a grandmother. Love that. There's no way. I you, love that. You, I just had a kid recently and you look younger than I do. So <laughs> I'm I'm assuming that once he's out of the toddler phase, maybe this all pops back or something and I can not look like an 80-year-old man. I just don't I don't know, but that's commercials. Like the woman playing the mother of yeah. that 7-year-old girl or 6-year-old girl was like 23. And so I only to be not- fair, Scott looks like a grandpa. Oh, Scott! <laughs> but I laughed because I said, you know, I didn't have to look like a grandmother. I just had to look like her mother. That's a good point. That that's, that's a really good point. That's how commercials work. And I had to look like her grandmother. Yeah. And in some parts, I am. But in real life, I am old enough to be a grandmother. Have you have you ever had that thing where you kind of get you kind of lose out on jobs because you don't look like the right age group I or the can, family member? I can name you four commercials running right now where I was on hold, and I said they're never going to hire me because I color my hair. And the drag is if I go, I am prematurely gray. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been gray since I'm 25. Yeah. Like my father was completely white, yeah. Snow White. I won't work in animation. So I keep up, not a visage to be uber young or eternally young. What I try to be in animation is not their mother and not their grandmother. Because if their mother and their grandmother of animators are not in show business, they're not funny. So their mothers and their grandmothers who aren't in show business are not funny. I can't look like them right it is a very youthful thing i don't wear mini skirts i do wear jeans and combat boots my hair is usually colored i don't talk about my age i just go in and do the funny but i have seen women who are who have gone gray for commercials, allowed their hair to be gray. Mm-hmm. They do a couple of commercials a year. You know that since the strike, commercials have not been paying great. It's You you need like five of them to live. Yeah. And I think that I chose to feed the beast that pays and that I work, I am a professional voice actor. That right. is my number one that pays my bills, that keeps my lights on. That's what I do. I feed that beast first so when lockdown happened i put these blonde streaks in my hair because why not because i'm an idiot <laughs> and now i don't get shit now i don't even get callbacks now i don't even look like somebody's mother as somebody said um i'd gotten this call back live which was really fun everybody was so great for this colo guard 
thing. And they were like, you have to walk a dog and you, you we want you to be the older one. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, I wish you guys would just stop with the old woman and a younger woman, or they called them an older woman and a younger woman or yeah. walking. Yeah. Just find two of the funniest people that look great together and two funny looking dogs. And it doesn't matter who's older or younger. And the guy said, yeah, I know, but you have to say, you know, it works for people over 50. And I looked at him and I said, I am over 50. And many of my friends who are over 50 look exactly like me. Yeah. It's not, I, we don't have to look like your mom. You know, when I look like your mom in television, people think I'm in my 70s. And yeah. so I said, and I did lose. I think I have lost all of the last ones. So I just had a conversation with my agent, Jen, and I was like, all right, I think on the 28th, I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the, to put some color over the blonde streaks because now it's not even, now it's not even <laughs> close. But like, I don't, I don't put any filler in my face. I'm just me. I'm like, I got the neck of a 90 year old, is pretty wrinkly. <laughs> but everything else, you know, I, I don't. I, and yeah. I don't, and I do think that that is an issue because I think all my friends were being clever when they said, you don't look like a grandmother. And I was like, well, apparently Tide thinks so because we just renegotiated <laughs> another year and you're going to, I hope you like that spot because you're going to see it for another, another year. Yeah, They yeah. just renegotiated and they've, they've been great to us. And I have survived in large part off of that commercial. So yeah. Sachi and Sachi, if you're listening, anybody, thank you. Like really, truly, Scott and I, um, we <laughs> communicate weekly whenever we get the residual checks. And we're like, I just, thank God, I have given so much to charity. I give to Food Bank of LA. Uh, just, you know, very, very grateful for that. And then for Space Jam, which yeah. was, was the other huge. Oh, Space Jam. Know. I mean, that was enormous. I mean, that yeah. was, yeah. And that was, so that began in... January was when I auditioned for the for the scratch and then the pandemic hit and you know SAG lost its collective minds trying to figure out a way for us to go back to work but Mm -hmm. you know I sit on a on a national voiceover committee and you would be shocked at the screaming memes saying we're not all as as fortunate and as rich as you and we can I was like fuck you I put my studio on a credit card because yeah, this is yeah. what I do. Yeah. This is not a hobby. I'm not trying to break in. I need to keep it up. So I did. And it took yeah. about six weeks for it to come. And while everything was coming, I had gotten a phone call from Sandy that said, are you sitting? And I was like, yeah. She said, they want to use you in the film. And I said, wait, say it again. <laughs> say that again. <laughs> And I said, they're going to use my scratch. She said, nope, they're going to record you. And I said, okay. And then it got bad. But I um, built out of a closet that is the tiniest thing. It is not much bigger than that corner thing. This is a 1936 house. It's one of the 1936 closets. And I, I physically got on a ladder and built a studio. I soundproofed it. I bought a gator arm for the laptop, got a new laptop, got a mic, a sound, a shield, I carpeted it. I I did absolutely everything, and it took me eight weeks. And I recorded the entire Space Jam movie in that closet. Wow. wow. And it was... Although, um, to be fair, I mean, 
you look like you could fit in somebody's pocket. <laughs> like, you could go in that closet. Now, me, you know, that, that's not going to work. Kill, I, but it would kill you because yeah, I it could, is I couldn't like, do it. And but there's, there's no way. Thank, thank God I'm straight because I could never come out of that closet. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could never go in the closet. <laughs> Let me tell you that. The first time I did it, your list, female listeners will roar. And also some of my male listeners will roar. I'm in a full beat face of makeup because I loved Malcolm Lee, the director. I just uh-huh. think everything he touches is hilarious. And I he was on every single Zoom. He was there. I would I was so proud of getting the job and I was so I wanted to show them so I would do my hair. And then by the end of the session, my entire bottom other than my underwear, anything below they could see on Zoom was off. I had Birkenstock sandals on that were soaking wet. My face had melted all the way down onto my shirt. It at one point reached 96 degrees. And I was like, (laughs) well, had I known. So the next time I have a bathing suit where the top looks like a dress, which is what I wore in to record and never told them. That I was in. Oh, I don't think you're alone. So many voice actors have to do this. Oh, my god! I'm so glad when they tell me, they're like, oh, record for your home booth. And I'm like, okay, how are we doing this? Oh, just Source Connect. Yay, no camera. Naked recording time. Yeah, and for (laughs) me, because it was so secretive, and I was so grateful and felt like, fell down on my knees when I I got this, um, and so grateful to Colette Sunderman, a really good friend of mine, and, and I adore her. Um, that I never said a word to anybody. And I kept saying, you know, they've asked me not to. Yeah. And I'm going to stay in this and honor it for the kids Mm because I have a good part in this. And I don't want anybody to even know what I do in this film because it will give it away and that's part of the fun. And I did it for kids and I really wanted to keep my job. And I thought, because you know, Ken... You, they can replace you because it's they don't well, have to reshoot. They well, just with, re-record. Well, with your character playing Granny in particular, if you look at the movie, I mean, there's a lot of great gags in the movie. There's a lot of great stuff. But with Granny, it was things that you wouldn't normally see with that character, like you know, being in a locker room and suddenly Granny's just sipping a martini, laying on know, the bench like it's a couch. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And you know, I will say, I became friends with Sev Ohanian, on, uh, who was one of the writers and producers of this, and... We became friends on Instagram, and it was boosted uh-huh. by another little young filmmaker that I know. Like, like she's 24 or 25 years old, Kendall Goldberg. She's brilliant. And she said, oh, I know, Sev. And I was like, I'm going to reach out. And he is the one responsible for writing and producing and getting Granny to have all of those gags. Oh, he great. just thought it shouldn't be only Zendaya, who was so lovely and I thought she did a a great job but I just really loved that they didn't have granny on the bench like an old lady like they did in the original yeah where she was just more like a cheerleader right and just looked befuddled you know I think June would be really happy that she was a complete yeah they gave her so much more and and actually you bring up Zendaya and and no knock on Zendaya because I, right. I, you know, she was great, but that was actually my one issue was I was like, I should have given her more because, yeah. you know, there was a big lashback when they talked about changing the the character design for Lola, and, right. which was one hundred percent should have been done. I was right. totally supportive of that, but I feel like sometimes they're still trying to find 
that character. Like, they wanted to make Lola a strong female character, which is great, but you can have a strong female character who's still funny. Right. And they didn't give much of the... They, they played Lola as a straight man. And I was like, right. it doesn't need to be just that. Right. Um, you know, the, the example that I always love to use of where I would love to see them go with that character more uh, was uh, uh, sometime b- uh, back with the Looney Tunes show where they had Kristen Wiig doing Lola. Right. And it was a more fully realized character where she had... Flaws, like all of the other Looney Tunes characters. There's right. flaws and there's comedy that comes out of it. And I was really hoping to see more of that with Zendaya in it's there. And very they, they, they hard, kept her very straight. Very hard when you don't have female writers. Yep. Period. Yep. And I know that every female writer is nodding their head like crazy. That's it. So if you imagine that Sev writes this character, he wrote Granny mm-hmm. as a dude, and I just didn't dude it. Right. It's, she's a guy. That's a, that's a that great way of it. looking at it, yeah. And they did not. They wrote Zendaya, Lola Bunny, as a female. That's a she great was way a of... female warrior, yes. but in all cartoons, females are second bananas, yep. and she, uh, she did dual second banana duty. To both Bugs and LeBron. Yeah, I felt like they, they were so focused on showing that, well, she's not a sexual object. She's a strong female. And I was like, okay, that's that's the ante into the game. Like, that's fine, but now what? Build, build on that. You have so much opportunity with and, this character that's so unrealized. And, she's, and, and Zendaya is so brilliant. Yeah. She is so brilliant. She could have done that. It just, it wasn't, and we go back to cheese. It wasn't on the page. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Malcolm D. Lee, oh, he's my secret boyfriend, even though he's married. He's, I just, I absolutely worshipped my short time whenever I got to work with him yeah. because he helped me find that. Yeah. Because, and even a couple of times, he told me exactly how to say, and I don't want to give it away for those that have not seen it. There's a line when they are when they're in practice yeah. and granny does something and grabs a backboard and slams it down. And that rendition coming out of my mouth is Malcolm D. Lee. And we all laughed on zoom for like a solid minute. <laughs> but I think I want to say something that I think your listeners might be interested in um, to keep everything um, secret. When we got towards the end mm-hmm. and they had switched up some scenes yeah. and I had to, re-record and then I'm mouth to picture and I'm ADR mm-hmm. um, and I'm doing that. Uh, Matthew, who was our engineer, who's a become a good friend would take over my computer and then through source connect, but then I would also give him permission to do it. And then Warner brothers would download picture. And then I swear to God, everything was gone. What? Everything was gone. When I finished I did not send it. Matthew would go into Just my pull it and yeah. yeah, he said, I've got you on our end. You're you're breaking up a little on yours. And I was like, and I am on an Ethernet. I know, I don't know what to tell you. Blah blah blah. I'm really hot. I don't know what's happening. They would do it. They took the picture off, the backup record, and my hands were done. Wow. And I would say it, but I will tell you, honestly, for young actors and new actors, it made it really easy for me to say, forget I did it. Yeah. I'll get the check. Forget I did it. Forget I did it because 
one of the heartbreaks of of animation is that you can be replaced at any time yeah. and you have to keep that to keep your sanity you have to keep that in the back of your mind yeah. for me it's the reason to keep my mouth shut not not because oh, I'll be so embarrassed because it breaks my heart whenever I am sure, sure. replaced um and you know I've only ever been replaced by um out of spite, like somebody will say, oh, I'm taking over now, so I'm using my friends and right, blah, right. blah, blah. And and a couple of times I couldn't do an accent and I should have been shot, let alone the place. <laughs> but I really, it was really quite wonderful that it was off of my computer. I have, I never, I never was tempted to do anything and I'm glad that Matthew did that. Well, that it sounds I, like technological magic, but then this is from the studio that invented the Matrix, so... Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite line... Uh, well, I have two favorite. I'm sorry, did you say Dad Dap? Dap. And I think that, to me, that is like... And I adore LeBron. There's there's something very magical about that young man. I'm just telling you that oh, he he's, is he's warm. He's got great he, chemistry. He, he is, he's, his yeah. charisma is Oprah level. He, there, is, yeah. there is something so other... Um, and his smile will melt your your face off. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of athletes. I mean, there's a lot of athletes that will go into to commercials or TV or film or whatever. But there's not a lot of athletes where you look at them and you go, oh, even if you weren't an athlete, you could do this. Like, right. And it's funny because I remember when they, they first announced this movie was in production, people were like, oh, can LeBron carry it off? I'm like, did you see Trainwreck? Uh, he's amazing in it. Yeah. He's and I get so funny. Now, ama- now imagine there's nobody that he's acting with. Yeah. Because they're all cartoons. Way, way harder to do. Thank you. Now, talking about Granny, and uh, th- there's something here I want to talk with you specifically about, because with Granny and then with Dexter and Dexter's Laboratory, you've experienced this a couple of times. What are the challenges of bringing life to a character that's already been established by a previous actor? It is really the most difficult. One of my least favorite jobs was doing Dexter because Chrissy Cavanaugh was a friend of mine. Yeah. And so beloved and just... She was fantastic, but she, she fanta- suddenly retired. Yeah, and, and so, she took off. She yeah. was like, I'm done. And I'm, and I'm finished. And I have my own thoughts about that. And I just think that everybody became so short-sighted yeah. that they were looking for an exact, not sound-alike. They wanted a mental-alike. And that's mm-hmm. where they don't get that everybody comes at their voices differently. And right. that... You know, we had different. You know, I'm a different stand. I'm a different com- comedian than she is. She was off. She was weird. She was quirky. She was southern. She had a voice. I mean, Chrissy Kevin all talked like this, and so everything that she did, and then things got a little wacky, and then you had a studio that was freaking out. You had Gendy, who could not get over the fact that Christine quit and was trying to remake me in her image. And he kept saying, yeah. you know, you're just not funny. And I'm like, you know what, man, I'm not funny in this. Cause I don't really get it because you're so worried that I don't breathe where Chrissy breathed and I don't do what she does. I have the voice down cold. Let's move on. But you're bringing in a different artist. It's not, it, exactly. Art, artists are not plug and play. You and don't then, just pull exactly. one out, put the other one in, it's the same thing. And then I said to him, B, you stop voice directing because Dexter is Gendy. That is what the De- Gendy sounds like this. He sounds like a French Russian. That is what he sounds like. I don't even care what you say. He sounds exactly like this. He stopped 
directing and he stopped writing. And they brought in Chris Savino, yeah. who didn't get it. And I have no qualms uh, about saying that. He didn't understand, you know, didn't get what he was writing mm-hmm. and didn't want to write it. And they were like the dumbest at the end. They just stopped making it because the episodes were were like, what are we actually doing here? What are we saying? And everybody was so out of character and so bizarre. And, you know, Gendy would come down and say, and what they gave me every mm-hmm. week right before I spoke was cartoon, cartoon. That's all I ever heard. They didn't have any tapes of Chrissy to give me. I never watched the show. When they got me, the show was off the air. So we didn't have in 2001 or 1999 when I got it, there were no, all there were VHS for me Right, they'd, watch, they'd only finished up their second season, so they hadn't been around that long. Didn't and it, have it hadn't, anything. Yeah, so all they would pull, Robert Serta, the the engineer, would pull was cartoon, cartoon, and even he was looking at me like, wow. "I'm so and sorry." And I was like, "It's so, it was so weird." Thank God for the cast, which was Kath Susie and Jeff Glenn mm-hmm. Bennett and Eddie Deason. Hey, pal. Um, it was great. It was one of the um worst experiences of my life and then when it didn't go well to actually be blamed was like priceless and you know it's when I really just like was not interested in any social media I'm I'm uninterested in what pundits have to say Um, I just wrote it out for as many years as we possibly could I knew that kids and and kid like adults would have to get used to the new rhythm. Yeah. Um and we just didn't have a lot of direction from up above. Yeah. Like how do we transition into this new comedy because you know by my re- resume after that and with Cow and Chicken which preceded it I'm funny. Yeah. I'm just a different kind of funny. I'm not spacey. I'm not breathing in odd places. I don't want to do an impression of Chrissy. I sound like her. Let's move on. And with June, what I did was take a combo of B. Benadere and June. I comboed them because B was sweeter. Mm Mm-hmm. June was sassier and then tried to give you times when it was like, oh, Tweety, I do. And then there were times when it was like, I'm going to go old school on his butt. It was more June. Yeah, yeah. But there was somebody before before June, and that was B. So it was this thing where you have to take the essence of the character and the essence of Granny is so clear, and it's really set by June by now because sure, yeah. B was in the 1930s. Um, but listen to them because they are very, very different um, because the writing was different. Well, I feel like when when B was voicing the character, it was Granny was very much a supporting secondary mm-hmm. character to Sylvester and Tweety. By the time June was coming in on the character, there was more for Granny to do. Right, right, and you you. And she was, uh, sometimes she'd be an antagonist. Yeah. And then when we did the Saturday morning Looney Tunes, um, I did all the incarnations, uh, Wabbit, um, 
and then other people had done it and I went in and replaced her. Uh And then we did um, the Looney Tunes, the shorts on HBO. HBO Max, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I was doing all of June's um, parts, Witch Hazel, um, Mm -hmm. um, but B or somebody else had done Miss Prissy and I, I was in there, I was in there doing, I was doing that and I think what, what happened, Ken, is that my version then became because we didn't have June. Right. So you had to say, this is what HBO and HBO Max, and thank you, that's, that's Sam Register, God love you, who was damned. He was going to get these. He sold these things. He was like, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to sell these <laughs> and put them on. And I think they're wonderful because Peter, I mean, Alex, everybody is so devoted to the stylization of the forties, yet Bugs is holding a cell phone and you buy it. Yeah. And you buy it. It's not like the others where you didn't. So we kept the forties feel, even Jack Fletcher, our director on these, um, you know, you got those tough guys and they're talking like that, right? He kept all of that forties, all of that New York, Brooklyn, Bronx, feel to all of the characters um and we just kind of updated them so i would listen when i was doing those hbo things to june because that's what they wanted so that i could be in her um i could be in her voice register and be right here but then she never said, give me the damn cell phone or I'm going motorcycle riding. Come on, boys. Like we did in the, in the, in the shorts. So you, you have to get the characterization down before you can put in the new dialogue. Right. And I decided to go with staying as true to June's voice characterization as I could. And then that's what I did in the film. And then the only time that I am B is haters going to hate, mm-hmm. where it's just more that little old lady with a little snap. Well, it's it's a it's a better contrast the dialogue versus the the vocalization. Yeah, yeah, and you think that is really what you do, and I I think those one is my most favorite, Granny, because mm-hmm. I feel accepted, like everybody at Warner Brothers, and that's all I care about because they have a, a Looney Tunes, they have a classics department. Yeah. And if they like my work, I am beyond ecstatic. That's who I voice for. I work at the pleasure of the producers. I don't do this for myself. I I do that for them. And I have tried to stay true to those old things and bring my sass and my acknowledgement. And then for Dexter, it was like the the antichrist to that. It was like the anti, we want you to be this. And I thought, you know, I just, I, I don't have her life experiences. I... I don't know what she's going to do. We, you know, this is yeah. weird. So um, I try, I don't really get a lot of voice matches. I don't get a yeah. lot of replacement because it's not been a great well, thing. I, I find it ironic that now that we're, you know, 20 years almost removed from Dexter, you know, when a lot of people talk about Candy Milo, Dexter's one of the first things that comes up that and that's what you're recognized for. It's and really great. And I, I, I think it's because people finally realized that I had nothing to do with Chrissy's disappearance. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I didn't cause her to leave. 
She quit. You all liked the show. Cartoon Network said, okay, we'll give you more. Yeah. And then I was damned if I did and damned if I didn't. Well, I think that one of the things that we tend to forget in the moment is that what we're doing now, you know, if you're doing a, a you know, a, a character that's been brought to life previously, you're comparing against not just the performance, but the nostalgia that's applied to that performance and how we remember it in the past. But you go 20 years in the future, well, that's going to be on your performance now. The nostalgia factor will help you. I mean, you know, we may think of, of June Foray as Granny, but 20 years from now, people may think of Candy Milo as Granny. Oh, agreed. You know, I mean, a, a great example of that is uh, um, with the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, you know, uh, Space Ghost came out in the 1960s, but for me, growing up with Adult Swim, George Lowe is Space Ghost. Thank you. So Thank I, you. I would never think of another actor in that role. Thank you. And I think that that is, that is a, such a smart thought because <laughs> I really do think that that is what has helped. Because Gray um, and I have talked about this. You know, we, we like to say, how old are you? Well, I'm the voice of your childhood. Yeah. Depending. Hers are younger. Mine are older. Because right. I've been doing this longer and you know, and I don't, I don't really do um, late night. I haven't lucked out on too many of those kind of shows, but oh well. Um, and I, so I am the Saturday morning voice of people under 35. Right. You know, she, she's the Saturday morning voice of, of people under 30, right. under 28 and 30. So if I am the voice of your childhood, then Chrissy is not. Yeah. It's an interesting you way see, to look at it. And if Chrissy is, you're 40. Yeah. Because she was active 22 years ago. Right. I mean, that's, I, that's when she was active. That's when um, Ah Real Monsters, Rugrats. Sure. And, I, and it was interesting because nobody had a problem when Chrissy left Rugrats and I took over as Chucky. Yeah. And I did all growed up and I did video games and then suddenly um Nickelodeon decided they wanted a celebrity and they brought in um Nancy Cartwright, Nancy Cartwright to do yeah. it. And I sounded exactly. I had so many gigs as Chucky because I sounded Exactly like her. And then they decided, which was a bunch of agents trying to pull Nancy and her commissions. And it was a a lot of kind of backdoor and nobody says anything. But if you go back and listen to those episodes, she sounds like Bart Simpson with a cold. And I was like, and nobody says anything because she remains the voice of their childhood from Bart. Right. And I like, and I adore her, but I mean, that's reality. And I said, so I sounded like Chrissy Cavanaugh with a cold as Dexter and was excoriated. But I think I did do five years, four years, and she did the first two. I did whatever else there was. And I just, every Tuesday afternoon was the session and I wanted to kill myself. Yeah, she just did the first two seasons and I think maybe an episode or two in season three. Well, I know she did Ego Trip. But then right. uh, I re- you were, you I were thought season. I replaced her in Ego Trip. Maybe oh, may, not. might have been both. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, but then you did three and four and all the interstitial stuff and everything else. And yeah, I, so. then they made um, Dexter like do interstitials yep. and all these yep. commercials and coming up next and cartoon, cartoon. Yeah, if you were just comparing bodies of work, you were the voice of Dexter for longer, honestly. Yeah. And it was interesting because I, I have done such better stuff. Yeah. But... The original writing of Gendy, who is so brilliant, 
that's what made Dexter. And when right. he stopped and then Chris took over and then Chris didn't care or whatever was going on with him, you know, that was that was sad because I think the combination of Gendy writing. Yeah. And that's when everything was still being produced in the building at Cartoon Network. That's yeah. where you'd go up and you'd see them drawing Fosters. It was mind-blowing. Mind, mind-blowing. Um, Nancy Naylor doing backgrounds. And, I mean, it was, it was utterly mind-blowing. And we would have parties and all you'd have to do is go upstairs and all the cast, was, cast and crew, we were all right there. And it was, you know, and I, I think, you know, had they let Gendy continue... Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been another SpongeBob. We would have continued on down sure. um, the road. But I think things end for a reason. Yeah. And, you know, now we're all in short attention span theater and there's <laughs> so much content in so many channels. Oh, yeah. Like, how do you get eyeballs? How do you get eyeballs off of phones? Yeah. You know, how do That's you do that? That's why Quibi didn't survive. <laughs> That's why, how Quibi didn't survive. Yeah. Like, how do you do it? I'm watching other things going, I don't know how this channel survives. I just, I don't. But I, um, you know, and I think that it's why it was so fun to do Granny. And I think it was the people surrounding me that I think support, moral support Mm -hmm. is huge. And I have a lot of support from Warner Brothers. And for me, I'm home. It's where I started was Hanna-Barbera. Will, um, I started at Warner Brothers in Tiny Toons. I, yeah. I started there. I feel like I'm back home. I feel this is my language. Yeah. Their drawings make me laugh. They, I get their jokes. I had my help from my boyfriend. Sorry, Mrs. Lee. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like I'm home again. Like sure. this is where I'm supposed to be. Is back at. You started watching Looney Tunes. You started voiceover. With Tiny Toons, coming back to that same Looney Tunes family again. That's awesome. And I really think that that's, that's how it is supposed to go, and, and that's okay. And then what's fun is that so many people from my Cartoon Network and Netflix, I mean, um, and Nickelodeon have left and gone to Netflix. So that's been like a new fun thing. Where oh, I Netflix get, animation. That, well, the new building in Burbank and everything. I mean, they're doing so much right now. Yeah, it's and they've awesome. got some amazing people mm-hmm. and I feel very, I get their stuff and I'm like, oh, this is really, this is it's really good. great. Yeah. And it's not a big conglomeration that we're working for. It is, but, you know, they've lured away the best of the the best of the best. And yeah. it's it's super, animation for me is, is super fun. Um, but I do just really want to say I feel like I've been given a new lease on life through LeBron and um, the team at Warner Brothers through Sev. And I'm not just dropping names. I didn't know how much longer through this epidemic, this pandemic, I could go and what interest it all had. And I was it, it's all been kind of restored my faith in animation that we're back. And I think the film... It's freaking beautiful. I think they did a beautiful job. I mean, the Wonder Woman scene, the pages of the... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. It's fantastic. pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Well, before we uh, before we wrap up here, something I always like to do with my guests, I always like to play a different game with guests. Because, hey, I'm a, you know the whole show is about Saturday but mornings. I, I, don't, you know? I don't get a prize because I already have cereal. <laughs> 
So if you want to play a game with me, we are uh, we're gonna okay. play a game called Cold Reads. Oh. All right. Hey, hey, Cold Reads. So the way this game works is I'm going to hand you something that you have not seen, something right. you have never read. It can be literally anything. The only promise I make is that it will not be offensive because we try to keep this family friendly. Good. But uh, I invite you to choose a character voice that you would like to read it in. You can switch it up and do multiple characters, however okay. you want to approach it. But just let me know which character you want to start with on this. It can be any character that you do, any character voice you want to bring to the it. The Flea. From the which, Flea. Ah, from good Mucha choice. Lucha. The Flea. Great one. Well, this will fit well. Okay. So what I have pulled for you here, this is live from the internet. I believe it was uh, instructables.com. These are internet instructions on how to build a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> As read by the Flea from Mucha Lucha. Okay. How to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. In this tutorial, we will be demonstrating how to make a standard peanut butter and jelly sandwich. This is a perfect snack or meal for those on a budget or in a rush or who cannot find churro sandy. Just imagine, you are hungry, you are in need of a meal. In your pantry, you look around, you got peanut butter, you got jelly, you got bread. But you are not sure how to combine these ingredients to make a sandwich. So, you come to our tutorial for advice. Guess what? You need a hobby! Enjoy! <laughs> Step one. Gather your ingredients for the sandwich. So, for your first ingredient, you're going to need bread. For this project... <laughs> then, you're going to need peanut butter. Then, some jelly. I chose to use grape jelly. Now, I usually use strawberry, but Tweety said for this project, all I had was grape. Finally, a knife. Not shown in this picture because it is very scary to have a knife. It is just to spread the peanut butter and the jelly. Optional items. Disposable gloves, some chalk, a tablespoon for measurement. Uh, step two, you put the gloves on, which is optional. So once you put on the gloves for an added sanitary factor, we will be wearing gloves for this demonstration. Uh, you pull out two slices of bread. You uh, pull out two slices of bread and lay them side by side on a plate, XJ9. Then you open up the peanut butter and jelly. Uh, that will be uh, step four. You open the peanut butter and the jelly, and then you remove any of the, the seals in order to use the product. Step five, you spread the peanut butter on the one slice of the bread. So now, you're going to spread the peanut butter onto the bread. Remember, men, to spread the peanut butter on only one piece of the bread. Unless, of course, you want to have the more peanut butter. Step six, and this is very important. Don't touch that button. Spread the jelly onto the other slice of the slice of bread. 
Get preferred amount of jelly under the knife for an accurate serving size. Get about a tablespoon, you lunatic. Then you spread it under one slice of the bread evenly. Step seven, and I can't believe that we're finally here. You combine the two slices, moron. Finally, after you've added both the peanut butter and jelly to both pieces of the bread, cow, chicken, you smash the two pieces together. (laughs) I chose to cut the bread into two triangles because... I don't have an upper body, and triangles are fun, and because I felt like it. So that's how you make a GDP B&J sandwich. Goodbye! <laughs> I don't know what eight-year-old kid wrote these instructions for the internet, right? but they did not see this coming. <laughs> they did not, and I'm going to say Ikea... Built that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> we only missed like slot A, slot B. That was fantastic. Thank, Thank you, you so much for doing that. Uh, before I let you go, any last uh, pieces of advice, words of advice you'd like to give for uh, voice actors out there who are trying to yeah. get into the into the business? Listen, I do this because I love it, but I actually do it because it is my job. And I love what I do, but this is my job. It isn't a hobby. So I take it very, very seriously. But that doesn't mean you always should. And I will say, I will ask you all one question. Why not you? I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any, I didn't have any ins. I worked for absolutely everything I got. Luck plays a big part of it. Humility gratitude, all those kind of good things. But I ask you, no matter who you are, no matter what your um, financial situation, no matter how you define yourself, how others see you, I ask you one question. Why not you? That's great. All right, so make sure you go out and check out Space Jam, A New Legacy, coming out this Tuesday, October 5th on Blu-ray and DVD. Highly recommended. And so I'm going to end the show the same way my mom would always end uh, Saturday mornings for me. The same line. The show's over. Go outside and play.